today. This is the next, the last stop on our journey through the New Testament book of Philippians. Discovering how we may live with joy no matter our circumstances by cultivating the right kind of mind. To review in Philippians chapter 1, Paul uh, Paul, the writer of Philippians, presents us with the first step in cultivating the right kind of mind. That is, by us becoming a single-minded people. A single-minded people who's focused on living for Christ and Christ alone. Living out and spreading the gospel that is the good news of Jesus Christ, no matter the circumstances, until death happens. And then in that case, we gain heaven. And actually, I saw somebody, I need to stop for one second. Steve DeVries, you come on up. Sorry, thanks for sitting, sitting there very patiently. He's got something else to share. Hold that thought. Yeah. All right, thanks. Um, just real quick, um, with, if you go to the website, to the group section, and there's many different groups that you can sign up, but I just want to give a real quick invitation to a new thing we're doing here at Centerpoint at um, every Sunday after after second service we're going to start a class over here at 1230 um, and if you go go on to the site uh, it's called building our foundations of faith and um, if you go in and read there's actually three points um, given here the first point um, I just want to Maybe just give a little clarification. It says how the Bible is put together. We're going to talk about that. But what is actually going to be is we're going to be going through this text, which is founded by missionaries who go to remote, remote tribes and present the gospel to people who've never heard it before. And what they do is they teach the Bible chronologically from Genesis, from creation to Christ, and present the gospel this way. And it's an amazing uh, laying of foundation in, in, in our hearts, in our lives. It actually is from a verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, where Paul says, I, like a wise master builder, laid a foundation in your lives, and that foundation is Christ. And he says there is no other foundation. The other two points that we'll be, we'll be covering each, each class is a point on, and we'll be building this over time, is like how to study the Bible, how to interpret the Bible properly, how to interpret and read and study the Bible. And then the third thing is also we're going to be thinking about how to, how to study the Bible by subject and category and to be able to actually think with God on any particular subject. That's, that's important. And um, anyway, again... Sunday afternoons, 12.30. We'll go like about an hour, uh, and we'll see. Any, anyone is welcome, and uh, bring your Bibles, and, and uh, we're excited about it. These principles are so powerful, really so powerful to transform our lives, okay? So we'll be meeting this uh, today. It's a little bit uh, meet and greet, kind of getting our feet on the ground. Next week, we'll not be having a class. I'm going to be at a men's retreat. Then we'll begin, I think, the following Sunday is 9th. So. Right, thank you, Steve. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right.
Thank you, Steve. So Philippians chapter 1, Paul the writer of Philippians presents us with the first step in cultivating the right kind of mind. A single-minded people whose focus is on living for Christ and Christ alone. No matter the circumstances until death happens. And in that case, we gain heaven. Next, in chapter 2, Paul challenges us to develop a submissive mind which focuses on a relationship to others, valuing others above ourselves, submitting to one another in love. Then chapter 3 focuses on the need for us to develop a spiritual mind that is focused on spiritual matters that last rather than on earthly things which are so temporary. The spiritual mind is driven by our desire to know and to please God and to think about this world more like God does. And finally today, we're talking about how to develop a secure mind that won't be ambushed by anxiety. Now, I've been pretty open, you know, when I preach about my struggle with anxiety. And so... I wanted to put secure mind that will be less likely to be ambushed by anxiety, to be more honest. But so I'm preaching to myself as, as, as well as to you. And, and I believe that if we do follow what God's word says, that it will be true, that it is true. You know, we are human and we, you know, we take, was it two steps forward and three steps back or whatever you want to do? That's like the cha-cha in it or something like that. But we can have a secure mind that won't be ambushed by anxiety. It comes from Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. To reach that place, we must develop a secure mind that's focused and rejoicing even during anxious times. It's a journey worth taking, and today ours begins with Philippians chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Now, diving right into the passage, we discover that the therefore points to what Paul wrote in the previous verses to the Christians in the church at Philippi. That is, stand firm in the Lord. He wrote, because our citizenship is in heaven, from where we eagerly await a Savior from there. And not any Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has the power to bring everything under his control. Not only seeing how Christ rose from the dead himself, but someday how he'll transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. That promise is for us, for you, and for me, and for all who believe in Jesus Christ as their resurrected Lord and Savior and who have their hope in the fact that upon Jesus' imminent return, he'll transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body it's in light of that good news that we can stand firm along with the philippian christians and more specifically here paul encouraged them all to stand firm in this particular way i wish these ladies had easier names 
But Yuadia and Sutuke, two amazing women in the first church at Philippi, they're not getting along, <laughs> and it's hurting the church. Paul writes in verse 2, I plead with Yodia, Yodia, and I plead with Suntuke to be the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. These are good women. Women who contended at Paul's side. And that don't mean that they were contentious. Well, they might be now. But they contended for the faith like spiritual athletes at Paul's side. They pressed on enduring suffering for the sake of the cause of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And all in all, these are good women. They're Christians. All things point toward them going to heaven someday, as Paul says when he writes that their names are written in the book of life. And we'll talk more about what that means right before communion at the end of the message. But for now, something, something's happening. They're not seeing eye to eye. They're not of the same mind. Their goals and attitudes are not in sync. They're just not agreeing with each other, and it's caused quite a disturbance in the church that Paul calls them out by name. Can you imagine? I get nervous even thinking that. Can you imagine what it must have been like on that Sunday that Paul's letter was red. Both ladies are present, but one is sitting by the side exit and the other by the baptistry, and those sort of cotton in the middle are scattered in between. You realize that Paul has been talking about disunity all throughout this letter. Yodia is probably thinking, I hope she's listening, and Suntike is probably thinking, I hope she's listening, but then Paul calls them both out by name. From Philippians chapter 4, we don't have a clear idea what the problem was. We know that they are both good, influential Christian women, but their disagreement has caused quite the ruckus and threatens to undo whatever good these women might have done. It's serious, though, and some think Paul was easing into this the whole time, from around the beginning of this letter. So what Paul writes about in Philippians chapter 2 might be referring to this situation. Let's take a look. Philippians chapter 2, 2. To make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to talk about Christ's humility. This disagreement has gotten out of hand. Pride and selfishness, looking out for one another, for number one, have taken precedence over spreading the gospel and being like Jesus. And so Paul calls them out. 
and enlists some help in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now, we really don't know who this Clement is, nor the rest of Paul's co-workers. But they did. And they all knew who these women were too. And some believe that Paul, when he says in verse 3, yes, and they ask you my true companion, that Paul is using the collective you, or y'all, or all y'all and calling the whole first church of Philippi to work toward unity in the Lord in this. Why? Because it's hindering the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ that they all have been working toward up until now. And it's necessary in order for them to stand firm in the Lord. So Paul asks the church to help these women and then Paul shifts focus from these ladies to what might have been the root cause of their conflict the whole time. Anxiety. These were anxious times. If you read the rest of Paul's letters, false teachers abound. Persecution from both Jews and Gentiles rising. Persecution from Rome increasing paul is writing this from his prison cell in rome for goodness sake and he'll be beheaded in a few years anxiety will ambush the best of us every time that is if we don't secure our minds by being focused and rejoicing even during anxious times as paul writes in verse 4 Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now look, I have a difficult time remembering what day it is. Let alone when I was preaching every week, what I preached the week before. But if any of this kind of, in the off chance that all this kind of sounds sort of familiar, it turns out that I preached on this exact passage the last time I preached here about 10 months ago as part of the Path of Peace series uh, and at that time, I gave some practical steps along the path of peace. It just turned out that this was the passage I was asked to preach on in Brian's absence and where he happened to be in the series. But this time around, I chose to focus on how verse 4 and following fit with the rest of the book. Spending time on the context instead of retracing the practical steps along the path of peace. You can actually find that sermon and the whole series at vimeo.com within the Centerpoint Christian Church channel. 
But by focusing more on the context this time around, I realize that this passage offers more than a topical cure for anxiety. But it shows us the damage that anxious times can have on a church, on a good church, as in the case in Philippi, and on good people like Euodia and Suntike. Now stay with me here, because we're going to briefly step away from Philippians to unpack this. Remember what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 15, verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. I thought that Paul was just referring to the Old Testament scriptures here. But then I started seeing a connection between what's happening in the first church at Philippi to how Jesus' apostles reacted when Jesus predicted his death the second and third time. So look with me at Mark chapter 9, verse 31. It tells us what happened the second time. Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise. But they did not understand what he meant and were afraid to ask him about it. They came to Capernaum. When he was in the house, he asked them, What were you arguing about on the road? But they kept quiet. Because on the way, they had argued about who was the greatest. And then the third, Matthew chapter 20, verse 18, Jesus said to them, We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he'll be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now you've, you've, you've heard this correctly. Jesus predicts his death the second time. Certainly a time for high anxiety. And the apostles respond by jockeying for position, overcome by selfish ambition. They start arguing about who will be the greatest, presumably after Jesus' death. The third time, James and John's mother gets involved. Nothing but the best for her little boys. She approaches Jesus with James and John in tow and says, Jesus, about what you said. Being condemned to death, mocked, flogged, crucified, and rising from the dead. Good luck with that, by the way. But when you establish your kingdom and you're sitting on your throne, can my boys have the other two seats of honor, one sitting at your right and the other at your left? Hmm? And I love the other apostles' reaction. And personally, this is one reason why I believe that the Scripture is true because if someone was making this up they wouldn't include any of that because it doesn't make them look that good at all it makes them look horrible that helps me to 
to, to believe that what we have is true. The Bible doesn't throw any punches. Warts and all. Old Testament people, New Testament people. It's all there. So how would you respond to James and John? Well, listen to how the apostles responded. When the ten, remember there's twelve, so the two, there's ten, heard about this, what James and John and their mother had done, they were indignant. They're hot with these two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them, not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What's this have to do with Philippians? Well, the apostles were hit hit on by anxiety, when Jesus predicted his death. Maybe Jesus' first prediction was a fluke, but the second time, the apostles immediately start arguing about who is the greatest. And the third time, mama gets involved. All in all, the, res- the apostles respond by arguing. They don't see eye to eye. They're angry, prideful. They argue about who is the greatest. And selfish ambition kicks in when they attempt to claim the seat of honor and authority when all this goes down. So here's the connection. It sounds very familiar to what's happening in the first church at Philippi. See, just the Old Testament wasn't written for our example, but the New Testament as well. The apostles' reaction to anxiety compared to Yoadia and Suntike, they're very similar. Why? Because it's a normal It's a normal reaction to anxiety. When it's on the rise, we jump into fight or flight mode. We take control, or at least we try to, to make some sense out of the uncertainty. It's every man and woman for themselves. And the longer it lasts, the longer it eats away at us, our relationships, our family. In our church. It's a normal reaction. But what does Romans chapter 12 verse 2 say? Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good pleasing, and perfect will. So instead of being ambushed by anxiety, we can have a secure mind that's focused and rejoicing even during anxious times. By rejoicing in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to god why this emphasis on rejoicing well i learned from the world of psychology that our brains can really 
only focus on one thing at a time. So it's virtually impossible if you're wholeheartedly rejoicing to be anxious at the same time. So let me tell you a story. It's when we lived in Michigan. Bim had a dune buggy. And Silver Lake, Michigan, the dunes are like, they're at an ungodly angle. And Bim had made it his sole purpose to make me cry like a baby. And so he told me what he was going to do ahead of time. We were going to go up this huge, this huge angle at the sand dunes. He was going to turn the dune buggy around on, his, on the back two wheels, and then we were going to rush down. I said, okay. So I get strapped in, but I knew about this passage. And so as I was strapping in, I think it is Psalm 56, and it goes, In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I will not be afraid what can man do to me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, not be afraid what can man do to me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, not be afraid what can man do to me. And I didn't cry at all. Because I rejoiced in a way. And focused on Christ. And focused on God and his word instead of the anxious situations. Truth is, we are all, all of us are going through stuff right now. All of us has got worries. All of us have a sickness that we're dealing with or a loved one is dealing with. And that's when it gets hard. When that anxiety lasts. So that's why we must try to learn or attempt to rejoice in the Lord always, even in the midst of the anxious situation. And not like what we see in movies, you know, like we're, you know, like if you whistle, see this is another application of, you know, like if you whistle or you try to sing, you know, when you're not afraid, and what do they do? It's like, you know, they're trying to whistle and do a half-hearted attempt, and that's why they're still, still scared. We need to wholeheartedly sing and praise God, even in the midst of this anxious situation, because God is still God, and we aren't, thank God. I've got to share one more story with you. A, a preacher named Roy May shared with me while he was going through his uh, terminal illness. He said, Lane, it's like, a train track. On one side, on the one rail, you have healing, H-E-A-L-I-N-G, healing, however you pronounce that. I come from Woodford County, that's how I pronounce it. But healing. And then on the other rail, you have dealing. And then the tracks in between is faith that holds it all together. That is, if we maintain a secure mind that's focused and rejoicing, even during anxious times, so that we, our relationships, our families, and our church won't be ambushed by anxiety if we stay focused and rejoicing and stay focused on these things instead of the anxious times before us, as Paul says in verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, 
Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. It's worth repeating. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is, is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why? Because of what Paul says next in verse 9. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. How have you handled COVID and this election season? What have you been focused on? Done much rejoicing lately? How about casting your cares to God through prayer and thanksgiving because he cares for you, is it 1 Peter 5, 7? I've struggled. And I think that's one reason why, because when I preached this 10 months ago, it was before COVID. And now I'm preaching the exact same passage after COVID. And I've already kind of, I've shared with you before how I struggle with uh, anxiety and kind of obsess over things. So early on, I'm talking early on, like February type stuff. I freaked out. I shared with, you know, Brian and Kelly uh, in our, you know, staff meeting. I freaked out over, you know, over all this. But at least I continued talking with God and focusing pretty much first thing every day on his word and talking to him. And then looking at the news every day. Now, it's nothing to write home about. For me, it's a chapter a day every day. And then I pray. That's it. There's no, oh, you know, can't write books about that or, you know, go on the series. It's just a chapter a day every day. That's it. But that's how I have my time with God. And then I pray to God. And I ask God to search me and know me. To know my heart. And I tell him what's going on, my, on in my heart. And then I tell him to reveal what anxious ways are going on. So then I share all my anxious ways. And then we get down to the nitty gritty. And I say, God, could reveal what are, what, are, what are the sins that, that, that are within me. And I confess my sins to him. And then I say, God, help me to follow, help, help, help me to follow you. And forgive me for the times that I haven't. And then we go on with the day. And then I might check the news at that point. But after I spent that time with God. And I started following what Becky, what my wife's example, what she said, straight out of Philippians. And I focused on what's good. And started rejoicing and thanking God for that, even during these anxious times. Now, I'm just passing these things on to you because it's, it's what helped me and it might help you too. I focused on my trust in God. And I hate to say this, but you can't trust a politician. It doesn't matter what side they're on and neither can I trust mine or anyone else's understanding of all of this because we're all making stuff up. 
Instead, I've tried to rely on God. What says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And of course, gentleness goes a long way. I think that's why God had Paul in, include that in this passage in Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Look, I don't know why that God hasn't chosen to deliver us from this virus I know that he can. At least God might deliver us from this election season because truth, there is a meteor that is hitting, to, hitting towards our direction that might collide with earth the day before election day. It's true. So he might deliver us from this all. God chooses no one. <laughs> so he casts his vote. So let's strive to remain faithful because he is still God and we're not, thank God. And even during anxious times, God gives us this promise in Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And so let's strive to focus on the good that God is doing. I know about you, but some of the good that I've noticed, there are so many more dads out with their kids. I've seen so many more people walk around my neighborhood. You know, my daughter was home, you know, because they, they, she's a junior now at Lipscomb University, but she came home, she got to come, well, got to, made to, Got to come home early because they shut the canvas down. She didn't get to go to a camp that she really wanted to during the summer, a performing arts camp to help uh, underprivileged kids. That She didn't get to do that because of COVID. But she got to stay home. I got to spend a little bit more time with my family. Our growth group, though, we honestly, we, I don't think none of us really care for Zoom. But our growth group has gotten to go deeper, even through Zoom. We know that all things God works together for good to them who love the Lord, who are called according to his purpose. So let's try, strive to focus on the good that God is doing, rejoicing all the while in who God is and what he has and is doing, casting to God our anxiety, whatever our concerns. And I close with this. Being aware and intentional about what we focus on. Like whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, what we're focusing on doesn't reach this. If Fox News or MSNBC or whatever doesn't fall into this category, if what you're reading or watching or doing or seeing or experiencing doesn't fall into this category, 
Stop. Let me review again. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why? Because even in the midst of these anxious times, our minds can be secure knowing that the God of peace will be with 